Do you like aliens, UFOs, cryptids, and the supernatural? What about self-defecating humor? Uh, actually, it's self-deprecating humor. Well, you may both be right. Alien Theorist Theorizing is a comedy podcast that examines cases like Roswell, Bigfoot, or the Atacama Alien. If any of these topics pique your interest, subscribe to Alien Theorist Theorizing free anywhere you find podcasts or go to alientheorists.com. Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. If you've been listening to this podcast at all, you know there have been three or four of us that have been for some time saying that the doom and gloomers out there have been wrong and that Democrats were in much better shape, uh, both on redistricting, on uh, terms of the candidates that we've been nominating, the lunatics that the right's been, uh, the mega, uh, ultra mega's been nominating. So I thought we'd bring back our friend Simon Rosenberg, who has been on top of the encouraging trends for Democrats. We're now seeing in polls, but folks, let me remind you, it was on our episode in October, I believe, Alex, and correct me if I'm wrong, where Simon laid out the three reasons this wasn't going to be, that there was a decoupling that was happening between Joe Biden's approval ratings and what would happen with Democrats uh, in November of 2022. Again, this is like literally a year before this election is going to happen for sure, uh, back in October of 2021. So we wanted to bring Simon back because it's not just, this isn't just something he's been talking about. He, Greg Sargent's been t- talking about this. I have, as you know, we did this. He, he first talked about this on, on that trippy show back in October. If you were listening, you got a lot of real insights. So Simon, welcome back. And Alex, uh, where do you want to start with us? To peel back the curtain a little bit when we were prepping for this show, Simon was reminding us this story. And uh, Simon, I just want to start, you know, since October to now, you've obviously, as Joe said, you've, you've been beating the drum. What have you seen as the trend? And the question we have gotten from our listeners over and over again is like, is it real? Give me some hope here. Why is it continuing? Yeah, I mean, so what I laid out in our show last October and what I wrote up in early November was the premise was I'd rather be us than them. That's what I said and what we discussed. And the the reason why is that what I think where a lot of analysts got this election wrong and the reason why it wasn't really going to traditional political physics was not going to apply to this midterm and this was going to be an atypical midterm was that the Republicans ran towards a politics that had just been rejected by the country overwhelmingly twice. We won the last two elections by six and a half percentage points on average. More people have voted against MAGA than any political movement in American history. And what the what the Republicans did, they took an enormous risk, right, which is rather than running away from MAGA, which had just been rejected and given the Democrats, the House, the Senate, and the presidency, they ran towards a deeply unpopular politics. And so that meant, and I, what we discussed and what I wrote was that in that, because of that, it's very likely that the election was going to stay very close and that Democrats, if they could sell their achievements and their accomplishments, because frankly, they were bigger than people really understood at that time, and certainly even today, then we would have a shot at having a really good midterm. And I think that's where we are. And I think that what's happened since then is that the most significant thing is that the anti-MAGA majority that exists in America was awakened 
by a combination of the mass shootings, the ending of Roe, the radicalization, the radical Supreme Court, the abortion restrictions, the January 6th committee, the terrible, horrible, insulting candidates that are running all over the country by the Republicans, that all of this has taken the ugliness of MAGA and thrown it right back in the face of all these voters that just voted against it twice. And because for Republicans to win the House and Senate, they needed one of two things to happen. They needed either people to leave the Democratic Party and vote for them, or they needed Democrats to stay home. And the events of recent months have made each of those two things less likely. Um, and we know this from data, right? We know that the Democratic coalition has awakened. We know that vote intensity now is probably even, is either equal to Republicans or even in some polls, it's even ahead. And that's a big problem for Republicans because we have more voters, right? They need some of our voters to stay home. And if our voters are all showing up and their voters are all showing up, we're going to do fine, right? Um, and then we also know that, you know, the negatives of the Republican Party have gone way up and that we know that in the congressional generic, which is this basic question, are you going to vote Democrat or Republican? You know, the polls, I think, have shifted about four to five points for us at this point. And I think we're up now in the generic. And if we, if Joe Manchin and Kristen Senator Sinema really can come to a deal on this climate bill, I think we could get even more of a bump, right? Because I think that the climate right now for the Republicans could actually get much worse. I think that if you were to project outwards between now and November, the likely scenario is that the Republican brand is going to continue to degrade and that we have the opportunity to actually improve our standing, meaning that we could add a few points to where things are now. The conventional wisdom is we need to win the, the election by two points to keep the House. And I think that's within reach. So I think, you know, I think we got a shot here and we got to go for it and see what we can get done. So, Simon, you just mentioned the kind of conventional wisdom. One of the other kind of conventional wisdom things, and again, this gets back kind of the doom and gloomers that, Joe, you were talking about at the beginning. You know, I, I sent your piece to a friend who's been pretty politically active, way more uh, down on, on this election cycle than I am. But he pointed out, historically, the incumbent party generally tends to lose a couple points between where we are now and the election. But that's in a normal year. That's in a year. And right. it, it's that kind of physics defying. I like the way you described it just now. Right. Yeah, no, it is not a normal year. None of, every election is unique. No election is like any other election. Right. So first of all, any of these things, well, things happen this way before and they're going to happen this time. That's just never true. Right. It, it's possible. But, you know, we are agile enough in this day and age to be able to look at the contours of this election. And part of the reason that I started really breaking from conventional wisdom back in the spring was that I, I, we did a series of polls. We did, I was part of a project that did the largest uh, set of polling with Hispanic voters that's been done this cycle. And we, we were in Arizona, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, and I didn't know what we were going to find. And what we found, amazingly, was that Democrats actually had made gains and Republicans had fallen back. This was a little surprising. I mean, the conventional wisdom was we're losing ground with Hispanics and this is going to be a terrible election. And in the states we were in, it looked like 2018, a blue wave election, not a, not 2020 or 2022. So I was like confused, right? It was consistent with my own belief about this election, right? That the Republicans were had a very low ceiling. And the question was, was that ceiling 51%, meaning they win? Or was it 47, which is where it's been in the last three elections, meaning that we win, right? And so I looked at this polling and I thought, my God, I mean, this is interesting. What's going on in the rest of the country? And so I went to 538 and I looked at every available public poll at that time. And this is early to mid-June. 
And in every poll, the Republican, virtually every poll, the Republicans were underperforming expectations and Democrats were doing fine. And so even before Roe, based on public polling, you know, Republicans even today are not over 50 in any race, in any major race. They're not over 50 in uh, Marco Rubio is not over 50. Chuck Grassley is not over 50 in Iowa. They're not over 50 in North Carolina. You know, Kemp sort of bumps up above 50 in Georgia. So what you're seeing, what I saw in May and June was Republican underperformance and not a wave election. So I published a piece before Roe ended in mid-June saying there's no wave. You can't find it. I mean, I've been through waves election. I know what they're like. And in, and and that point, Republicans would have been over 50 everywhere. Yeah. They were over 50 nowhere. So there wasn't a wave to begin with. Right. And then Roe happened. And so I, I think what you know is really important here is that if you're looking today at where the Republican thing is, right, what you see is weakness, struggle, and conflict, and a party that is a mess. Right. Their fundraising in the second quarter was terrible. They're under 50 everywhere. They're underperforming in the Senate races and gubernatorial races all over the place. You know, their leadership is old and kind of misread the election. They made a huge error by not having a positive agenda to pull swing suburban voters towards them. They just thought they could, you know, let Biden lose the election. That was a huge strategic mistake. This is a party that's been overtaken by extremists and they've blown the election. And so what it means is that, you know, we've got a real shot here to not only keep, you know, to keep both chambers. I think we can pick up seats in the Senate and we can get into that. And I think the House, we don't know yet about the House. There's just, it's just such a, you know, it's a very complicated thing. There's so many different regions of the country and races, but is it within the realm of the possible that we keep both chambers? Absolutely. Does it mean that my God, all the things that we could do over the next two years if we have the House and Senate and Joe Biden as president. Think about all the things we just did. It's been a, a very productive two years. And so I hope that Democrats get excited about this opportunity that we have to keep both chambers, win this election, and then go have two years of more progress for the United States and continue to lead the country forward. Yeah, it's not just Democrats. It's a pro-democracy coalition. It's I, I think it's yeah. forming out there. Uh, you're seeing big big shifts in the polls, uh, independence, you know, moved pretty, pretty big since, uh, since Roe and a lot of the accomplishments have started to, I, I think, impact independence in a positive way. You can see it in the numbers, but I've been saying the same thing about the red wave that it's, you know, that it's likely to be as real as the red mirage was for Republicans. So in the last week, four very prominent Republican polls Chamber of Commerce, Americans for Prosperity. I'm forgetting the other two, but these are influential Republican I think polls. Echelon was one. Echelon, and right, then the new one, the big one was winning the issues. Winning, but yeah, winning the on. issues. Thank you for reminding me of my, you know, there are leads in those polls were three, four, five, and six points. That's four and a half on an average in Republican polls. Yep. If we are up four and a half, we gain seats in the House. Yes, exactly. Right? And so we keep the Senate and we gain seats. The, and so what I'm saying is like in their own polling, right? We keep both chambers and we gain seats in the House. This is Republican polling. Forget about what Simon thinks, right? I was going to say, look, the Cook Report has shifted their outlook on the House, moving five seats now in favor of Democrats this week. The decision desk projecting that Democrats are favored to win the Senate. None of this was true, you know, and it was conventional wisdom or what anybody was saying, uh, particularly back in October when we were talking about why. And I think one of the keys, though, is 
that, you know, like 2010, but in a much more, in much bigger numbers, they're nominating some of the craziest people that you've ever, you know, seen. And it's loon. So, so just like, you know, there, there was a wave of election in 2010. There was, but, you know, we're, it, it didn't prevent them from blowing Missouri, Nevada, Delaware, all Senate seats that they, they should have taken, but it was their nominees that, that, that blew it. So you have, you have a bunch of things happening yeah. that, you know, Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker. And one thing, Simon, I want to say is I've been looking at these house races and I think the reason we don't know is because most people still haven't focused on who's running in their district. And I think the American people are going to be blown away. I mean, just when they see how crazy some of these QAnon and other you know, conspiracy theorists who are running for to represent them in in, in the House of Representatives. Some of them make Marjorie Taylor Greene look like she was she's saying. I keep saying that over and over. People may get tired of it, but it's the truth. And so I think no. I think when you look at what's happened, the shift that's happened on the generics vote for Congress, in which Democrats are now in the lead by a few points in most of them. And you look at who they're nominating. I agree with you, by the way. The other thing I think that's going to happen is that brand is going to get worse between now and November in terms of Trump's going to be out there more. He's already, you know, in 2019, you could keep him out of Virginia and New Jersey because he could go to 48 other states. Well, it's going to be hard to do. He's going to be out there. He's going to be. And I think a lot of the candidates are going to be basically mimicking him and and repeating him and continuing the ultra mega uh, move extremism in the party is just going to get even clearer to people between now and and November. And I also think that the Biden accomplishments, I'd love for you to go through, that those are going to become clearer to people too between now and November in a way that I think is going to lift Democrats up a bit. I think think the dynamic as we look forward, right, is that Inflation coming down, gas prices dropping now by 80 cents, right? Is that it's giving Democrats an, it's giving Joe Biden an opportunity to reintroduce his presidency to people, right? If the theory of the case was that inflation was blocking any ability for Biden to talk to voters, that it was all they cared about, that high gas prices was psychologically freaking everybody out, well, the gas prices coming down in theory should create an opening for him now to reintroduce his agenda and his accomplishments to get his numbers up. He, look, he, he just needs to get up into, you know, he's at 38, 39, 40 today. If we can get him up to 44, 45, you know, it's going to make a really big difference in this election. And remember, all he's doing is getting back people that already voted for him, right? He got 51 and a half percent of the vote. So all that disappointment in him is coming from Democrats we, yeah. you know, if we pass this climate bill, you know, it will be hugely important for, I think, bringing the party together, getting us past the rancor and the disappointment and the fighting that happened with BBB. We're going to end with a much more powerful argument to the American people about what we've done and why they should keep us in power. And also, I think it will be a hugely important thing for young people. We haven't really given young people an awful lot of reasons to vote for us. There's a lot of reasons not to vote for them. But we need to give them more of a reason to vote. And why young people matter so much is that they're overwhelmingly democratic. And 
and they're the least likely to vote in this election, right? So if this is, if we end with a strong climate achievement, it could really impact youth vote. I think this could be one or two additional points in the election. And Joe, the other thing is, is that, you know, I, I was saying about money earlier, people don't realize this, but the average House incumbent in a competitive race, who's a Democrat, Democratic House incumbent, has eight times more money in the bank than their Republican counterpart. And that is a huge deal, right, uh, in going into the final months. Again, Republicans have underperformed on their in, in polling numbers and the money they've raised, right? And so I, I, I remain very optimistic. I was talking to somebody earlier today and to respond to the other thing you raised, which is his achievements. I do think that there's now going to be a reappraisal. If this bill passes, there's going to be a reappraisal of Biden's presidency. Um, and that we will look back at this time during a time of COVID and, you know, an attack on our democracy and a radicalization of the Republican Party and very low margins in the House and Senate. And he still got all of these things done, right? And the gun safety legislation, the, you know, the infrastructure bill, the climate bill, I mean, go down the list, whatever your list of things are, it will be seen as a, 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 a significant presidency. And I do think that the climate bill, if it passes, it will be a hinge point in history. I think that Joe Biden will now become the American president who turned the corner on climate, and it will be something that will be real. Will go down as perhaps his most significant legacy. It's of that importance, I think, in terms of the size and scope and strategy behind it. And I, I want to just um, make one other key point about the agenda. Democrats have only controlled Washington for six out of the last forty-two years. Right. Think about that. And so getting two more years of control would be it's a third of what we've had over 42 years and all the good things that we've done in these crammed periods where we've had power. Right. So getting two more years is a big deal. Just I want everyone listening today to think about all that we could do in the next two years with two more years of power. And I hope it's the thing that inspires all of you to go out and make more calls and give more money and tweet and blog and bother all your friends and all the ways that you engage as big citizens. we got to leave it all on the playing field here. The stakes are high, not only to block them from getting into power, but it's also because of all the things that we can do. And imagine if we had 53 senators instead of 50, right? And if you look at the Senate races right now, I think what's fair to say that all four of our key incumbents are in pretty good shape right? I mean, they're all leading. They've, you know, even in Nevada, where I think is the wobbliest one, Laxalt is an extremist and a crazy guy, right? Um, and Pennsylvania is a pickup for us. I think that's almost done at this point. I think Johnson's going to lose in Wisconsin. His numbers are terrible. He's got 37% approval rating. Uh, I mean, that is catastrophic territory for an incumbent senator, right? Um, and, you know, we're ahead in Ohio. I don't know that we're going to win in Ohio, but, you know, every poll has us ahead. And I talked to people who uh, are running the elections for the Democrats in the Senate, and they told me that they think that um, Vance is down three to four points. And, and you know, in North Carolina, their candidate is under 50. In Florida, Rubio is under 50. And so, you know, anything's possible when races are close at the end. You know that, right? Yeah, well, Vance has checked out. I mean, he he's just disappeared. If you talk to anybody in Ohio, they haven't seen him. He hasn't raised any money. He's got no money. Yeah. Not up in the air, right? I mean, it's just it's it is 
I talked to somebody very, very involved in the elections a couple of days ago, and they are just mystified by what's happening with Vance and and that he's not, you know, he's not running a real campaign. And so that just means it's possible. I, I, you know, look, I think that Pennsylvania and we are likely to win Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. I think we are likely to hold our four, which means there's two seats we pick up. And then, you know, we could pick up another one. We could lose one, right? But I think the likelihood of this staying Democratic. But And I think what it means is that Mitch McConnell's career is over at that point. And and I think that, you know, the, the hold of yeah. McConnell over the Senate will end if he doesn't win the election this time. He'll come, it will come to an end. Well, look, I know this may be crazy talk, but I actually think, you know, keep your eye on, on Iowa. Keep your eye on North Carolina. There are strong Democratic candidates out there. And, yep. you know, Grassley, I mean, we'll see. But he isn't over 50. He's been there a long, long time. I just, you know, we'll see. I think there are going to be some surprises in the opposite direction this year. I mean, where, where Democrats win, where, where no one thought. I think the conventional wisdom has been wrong. Again, because of just the direction, the extreme direction of the Republican Party, the mega ultra, you know, extremists taking over that party. And I also think, you know, there's enough between the understand the stakes of defending our democracy by stopping them from taking power. But then, as you also said, uh, Simon, the positive view and energy around what we could accomplish if we could stop their obstruction by gaining a few seats in the Senate and holding the House, or at least limit their obstruction so that we get things done for the country. Uh, those two things, I think you can, you're seeing. Uh, a recent poll had, uh, for the first time this cycle, Democratic interest in the November 2022 election exceeding Republican interest for the first time in energy. So I think that, as I've been saying, if if we keep doing the work and they keep doing the crazy, we're going to shock a lot of people in November. And I'm pretty confident they're going to keep doing the crazy. So we got to double down and keep doing the work. Joe, you brought up that 92% number. One of our reader questions this week was actually from Bob Pruitt. Um, he heard you say on actually the Michael Cohen podcast that the 92% number that Democrats were excited more than, or, or 92% of Democrats were excited about midterm elections. He's, his first question is, does that mean they're actually going to turn out and vote? And he wants to know where that 92% came from. I'm going to answer that and say it's actually from the last future majority poll. Um, Simon has cited it before. We'll include that in the show notes. But Joe, does that mean they're actually going to turn out and vote? Well, no, I, I, we've got to do the work. I mean, we're, one, it's a lot easier to get to that 92 percent who are energized to turn out if they're energized, right? If they're not doing, you know, the disappointment. And as Simon says, if we pass something like climate change, uh, something, strong, you know, good there, that's going to help too. It's going to increase that energy. And, and so that's always, it's a hell of a lot easier to get people turn out than if only 68% of Democrats are enthused about the election. So uh, it's a good sign. But like I said, we got to keep doing the work. Some of that is the Republicans, the MAGA extremes doing the work, some of the work for us, right? I mean, some of the actions they're taking, some of the things they're doing, are helping to energize the pro-democracy base. I don't even call it the democratic base anymore. It's a pro-democracy base. And we, like I said, you can see signs that independents are joining it. So let's get, and, and Simon, I know you mentioned this a minute ago too. Let's get to some of those wins. Um, this to me has been a couple of huge days. I, absolutely shocking, really. And the people that follow the Senate on the Hill tell you this too. Um, for those of you who haven't gotten caught up, Senate just announced 
two massive agreements on two of the bills that have been kind of twisting in the wind for a little bit. One, the CHIPS Act, which we can get into. It's a deal on boosting American semiconductor manufacturing and a whole bunch of other stuff. And two is what they're calling the Inflation Reduction Act, which is essentially the new version of last year's bill, but is taking on inflation, lowering healthcare costs, some new climate stuff. I know, Simon, you mentioned it could be historic. First of all, guys, tactically, it is just wild that they both came out, right? I mean, did you in a million years think this would happen? Well, I think, you know, without boring your listeners to death, I mean, McConnell had kind of gummed up the works in these things. And, um, you know, there is, however we got here, what's important is the CHIP Act, CHIPS Act has already passed the House today, so the president's going to sign it. And I think what's important to recognize is that that bill is designed to a great degree to challenge China's um, uh, growing technological prowess. It's an anti-China bill in addition to being a pro-tech bill for the United States, pro, you know, we can make more of our semiconductors here. Um, it's really important, and, and 187 Republicans in the House just voted against it, right? And this is like something that helps American prosperity and technology and our geopolitical situation, and they everybody voted against it. Right? And, job, yeah. and, and jobs yeah. in, in the Midwest. Yeah, tons of jobs. I mean, Intel I mean jobs in Ohio. Yeah, it's, in Ohio. it's just crazy. Right. So, I mean, they vote against everything. And, I, and, I, and, and then on this other thing, I just think we have to, I, one has to assume that the president and Chuck Schumer coming out so aggressively in support of this deal they made with Manchin meant that they knew Cinema was going to come around, but that they had some things they needed to work out with her. Right? I'm assuming. I, I would be shocked at this point if this collapses. It's possible. Anything's possible. But, And I think this bill is really a big deal. And, and I think the, you know, it will shore up and secure the ACA as the way that we're, you know, sort of dealing with, uh, you know, universal coverage in America. It will make uh, it will lower prescription drug costs in the United States a huge issue. This is why it's anti-inflationary, right? Um, but most importantly, it's going to spend hundreds of billions of dollars accelerating the clean energy revolution, making us the clear clean energy manufacturing power in the world. Um, and when America moves with this kind of intensity towards a global challenge like this, it has a multiplier effect across the world. And it will, you know, this coupled with what's happened with Europe's reaction to Ukraine, and it, this is going to be a year where the world will look back and saying that the movement towards decarbonization will have accelerated at an in, in unstoppable pace. That the And I think this is going to be known as an historic year. And Joe Biden, if he can pull this off, will deserve enormous credit for both of these things. Right. I mean, he was instrumental in building the coalition to counter Putin and his aggression in Ukraine. And now he's yeah. helping lead the world towards um, uh, you know, a better climate and energy future. Um, and the Republicans are going to fight all the way because the Republicans are aligned with the petro powers here and around the world. Uh, they're part of an old and ancien regime, economic regime that they're holding on to. And Joe Biden will be now accelerating us on this march, that yeah. this necessary march into a better energy future. I think this is a really exciting day, and I hope we can get this done. Yeah, and the, the Republicans and the Senate are so crazed over this uh, and, and just so angry over this popping up like this that they 
They, they voted against burn pits, uh, you know, survive, benefits for veterans for burn pits stopped the, the bill from going through. I mean, it's just, it, again, this obstruction that they're, that they keep pulling that lever. And, and I don't even understand how they're going to defend that. They can't. Uh, it's just a crazy town. And the veterans groups are going crazy on them right now. And, and you can see it all over social media. It's incredible, actually, how much. And I think for your listeners, as we discussed earlier, is that just, again, go back to this basic idea. Like, what are the Republicans, what's their agenda, right? They they don't like inflation. Well, and, and they think we're coming to recession. The last three Republican presidents led us to recession and spiraling deficits. So they've got no credibility on the economy. This is, they've been, this recent set of Republican presidents have been arguably the worst set of presidents in stewardship of the American economy in all of American history, right? Trump was absolutely when it had some of the, you know, the last two recessions have been devastating. And then, so what else do you get if you get them? You get more mass shootings in schools, you get 10 year olds having babies, you get women dying from miscarriages on tables, right? You get climate denialism and, and more power for oil and gas producers like Russia and Saudi Arabia. You get the worst economic stewardship in the last, you know, in American history, you get spiraling deficits. What do you get when you get from them? You get decline and ruin, and they've done nothing to counter this basic reality that they actually have a positive vision for they want to take the country. And we can't even trust them to be stewards of our democracy, this sort of core responsibility um, that they've also betrayed. And, and so I, I do think that Mitch McConnell and, and McCarthy made an enormous strategic error in this election by not developing a positive agenda that for those who were disappointed in Joe Biden, there was a safe harbor that they could go over here. And in fact, what they're now offering swing suburban voters that voted against them twice is something that's even uglier than they voted against in 2018 and 2020, which is why I'm relentlessly optimistic about our opportunity in the coming months. So I want to read you a quote from uh, I, it, David Dian wrote this in in the American Prospect today, and I just thought I thought this was really interesting. If you told me a cosmic ray hit Washington and flipped everyone's brains giving Schumer the Machiavellian cunning of a Republican and giving McConnell the guileless approach of a Democrat, that may be a more plausible explanation for this display than the truth. And it goes on, it's a near legendary turn of events. The combination of the revival of the Biden agenda and red-faced Republicans making terrible choices on highly popular legislation is one for the ages. Sure is. What a way to, what a way to end you know, to make a final closing argument to, to voters, right? I mean, it's just devastating for them. And and so, look, I, I, I think that, you know, Republicans needed to give swing suburban voters an olive branch and they gave them a lump of coal, right? And, and, I, and I think that, you know, we have to do our challenge now, and I want to back up Joe's entire view of all this, so Joe and I are in, deeply in sync with all this, is that, we got to get out of our defensive crouch. We got to regain our confidence. We've got to go on offense and we got to leave it all on the playing field, right? It's what the American people expect of us. It's what our voters deserve. And all this sort of self doubt and internal fighting and the disappointment and the doom and gloomers and all this stuff, it's self indulgent. We got to move beyond it and take care of business here. And, and I think that the, one of the biggest obstacles is us just believing we can win. You can't score unless you shoot, right? You can't win something if you don't have a plan to win it. 
And I think our mindset has to change now where we're now not playing defense, but we're going on offense. Yeah. You know, I have an old line in politics that if you're not on offense, you're losing. I think we've been, you know, we had lost our nerve. Well, we better find it now because the opportunity is there and we've, and we've got to both sell our achievements and indict them for being out of the mainstream and unfit. And I think that Joe, you know, this from having the wars that you've been in, we have more material to define any one of their candidates as unfit and out of the mainstream than we've ever had in any election that you and I have ever been part of. And, 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 and so, you know, that's what campaigns do, right? That's And all that money our candidates have, that's what they're going to be doing with that money, right? Is defining their opponent as being unfit and out of the mainstream. What Joe Biden and the National Party have to do is to tell a better story about all the good things that we've done. And that's really his role now in the final few months, which is he's got to get, he's got to help more people understand about how better things are today because of us. That's what you're graded on as an incumbent party. Could you make things better? I think we have. I think we can make that case. And so if in the final election here, we have to do two things, right? In the final days, we have to explain how we've made things better and define them as unfit. We can do those two things because they're both true, right? And and so I just think we got to get to Joe's point. We got to put our head down and do the work, um, and and just and leave it all on the playing field here because this thing could be really close. It could be a seat or two in the House and Senate, and I don't think any of us want to wake up on election day and think, you know, I should have made calls last Saturday. I should have knocked on those doors. I should have given a little bit more money. Can't have any of those regrets day after election day. Yeah, I want to do a give a Greg Sargent a shout out because he's been talking a lot about this stuff a ton and writing a lot about it. But one of his tweets was, if the Democratic coalition can achieve the largest investment in our climate future ever and sell it as job creation in places like West Virginia, while the GOP sits it out entirely, that's that opens up vast new possibilities. And when you add to that, the CHIPS Act that they voted against, it's going to create, again, technology and jobs in places like Ohio, Intel in Ohio. And then you put on top of that, that McConnell took hot, so upset about all this. He took hostage the bill to help dying veterans exposed to toxic burn pits to prevent their Medicare. I mean, it's just, this is, this is the Republican party. And this is the, it's been overrun by MAGA held hostage by the mega extremists. You know, it is, as David Dunn said, one for the ages, man. It's just unbelievable. But that should energize all of us to do the work because they definitely are going to keep doing the crazy, my friends. So uh, we double down. I think the trend will get worse for them and better for us if, if we do the work and they keep doing the crazy. I just want to reflect also for a second and, and the way that you talked about the burn pits and the sort of this, you know, the sort of just wild, crazy politics of the last few months, the crazy, as you call it, is that if somehow this climate bill and the health care bill, this new, and uh, whatever it's being called, the inflation bill happens and chips happen, I think that what we have to just spend a moment on is that in all the darkness that we all have been living through over the last couple of years, that America can still do extraordinary things and that the affirmation about this country, about us as people, not about Joe Biden, not about Democrats, not about Congress, but about us. That this powerful affirmation that this country has still got it and that we can do big things and we can tackle big things despite it all, 
COVID, right? Everything, right? The anti, you know, the destructive Republican Party. I think that is what we need right now. We need as a nation, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that we need this affirmation that we still got it here. I think it's possible that in the next few weeks that may actually happen. And I think that what a great way to end what has been a really rough couple of years for all of us in, in, in America and in the, and particularly those of us who are in the day-to-day -day politics facing down a radicalized extremist party that has seemed hell-bent on yeah. you know, taking America in the wrong direction rather than where we need to go. Simon, I think that's a really good place to end. Um, we're just about out of time. So, Joe, you want to take us out? Thanks, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. And thanks, Simon, for coming on. We'll be back next week. And, of course, please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in a review on iTunes. See you next time. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and you may know me from my career on Wall Street or my 11 days in the White House. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I'll tell you, if you read books, you can. I love to read, and my new podcast, Open Book, is about just that. Each book is this curated source of knowledge, which we can buy for $10 and digest in 10 hours. Together with some of the brightest minds and authors out there, I'll turn the pages on everything from history and psychology to finance and tech. You can find Open Book with Anthony Scaramucci on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.